Amen. Our children can be dismissed to Children's Church. Praise God. And Sister Christie, I apologize. I do not have connection to the system. So um, let's start out with just a little bit of review. First of all, one of the key things we've been saying is that you were never meant to live in the world with a view of the world that comes from the world. And I know that may be a little bit wordy, but if you really consider the truth of that, so many people living here on this earth have their understanding of life and their place in it as determined by this earth, by this world, by what other people in this world are saying and doing. And we were never meant to live our lives based upon what this world says and does, but we were meant to live our lives based upon who our Father made us to be and the significance that He created us to have and the place and position that He created us to occupy, first and foremost with Him, but it's our position in Christ that enables us to then make a difference in this world. If you only understood how much your Heavenly Father longs for you to be with Him in heaven, this is a burning desire that He has in His heart, but He has left us here. Even when Jesus prayed for us in John chapter 17, He prayed, He said, Father, uh, don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the world because we have an assignment in this world. We are the body of Christ. Come on now. We are the body of Christ here on planet Earth. And the ministry platform of Jesus is to be continually carried out through His body in the earth. Amen. We are His ambassadors. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. The Bible says we're citizens of heaven and that we now operate in this earth as ambassadors for our homeland. Amen. Baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in unknown tongues. Unknown tongues uh, is one application of that, it's our native tongue. It's, it's the language of heaven, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Amen. And so if we're ever going to fulfill our purpose and our assignment and our destiny here on this earth, we're going to have to see this world and our place in it as sons and daughters of God, as the body of Christ, from a heavenly perspective and not an earthly or a worldly perspective. And Jesus had much to say about this directly, but then he also referred to it. And I don't know how much time we're going to have this morning, but we also see that it's spoken to in other places as well in the scripture. So one more time, you were never meant to live in the world with a view of the world that comes from the world. And the way we look at things determines how we experience them. Man, I, I, I see so many people that are so desperate for change in their lives, change in the practical areas of their lives, changes in their finances, changes in their marriage, changes in their family life with their children, changes in, in their career, changes in their health. I mean, we just go on and on. Things that, that, that we long to have a different life experience uh, where these different areas are concerned. And what if, what if, praise God, we just allowed God to change the way we look at these things because how you see something determines how you experience it. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, 19 and 20 through 23, Jesus instructs us to not lay up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That is one of the most important truths that Jesus pointed out to us in that 21st verse, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. I was thinking about the first time Bethany got on an airplane and went on a missions trip. 
And Pam and I stood and watched that plane as it took off and disappeared, you know, in the blue sky. And we just kept staring at that one spot, the last spot we saw that airplane. Now, what was going on in, in that moment? Well, obviously, we love Bethany. She's a treasure to us. And our heart went with her on that trip. She was on that airplane. There were other airplanes taking off as well. We didn't turn around and pick another airplane to stand and stare at, you know, as it disappeared. We didn't know anybody on that plane, but there was a treasure that belonged to us on that plane that took off, and our heart was connected to that and what happened uh, in the uh, days that followed as she went on that trip. So there are a lot of things that we try to change and do differently and have different perspective on, but we never will unless our hearts are connected to those things in a real and meaningful way. He goes on to explain in verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I want to get to some new things this morning. A lot of this is review. But a lot of times, and this has been, I think, <laughs> an eye-opener for me is that I've often looked at darkness as just like being in a room with all the lights out. And that would be one way of, of looking at it. But the darkness that Jesus is referring to here, because when he says, if the light that is in you be darkness, he's not talking about the inability to see, but he's talking about the inability to see things as they truly are. The, the, the inabil darkness then is the inability to see things as they truly are. People who are in darkness see things, they just don't see things clearly. They don't see things accurately. They don't see things um, as we were created by God and intended by God to see them. It's not that someone who's in darkness has no view, it's just that they have no clear view. They don't see it as God wanted them to see it. But remember now, how we see things is how we respond to those things, how we experience those things, how we think and believe that they are determines how we act and respond and remember every scheme every strategy that the devil uses against us is intended to get you and me to respond in a way right that would be uh, detrimental to to ourselves that would be harmful to ourselves that would that would be uh, against what God would have us to do think about temptation temptation is 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 when we're drawn away of our own lust and desires and enticed but what is Satan trying to do? He's trying to get us to give in to something that's not pleasing to God. He's trying to get us to participate in something that, that, that God would not have us to participate in because of the consequences, because of the negative effects that, that it's going to have both immediately and long term in our lives. So along with this then is this idea of distortion. A good eye literally means a single eye, and it's the ability to see things as they truly are. The darkness that is in you, if the darkness that is in you, if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is the darkness? He's talking about a distorted, your eye being bad is talking about an eye that sees things distorted. And last week, we defined distortion as seeing things in a misleading way, or to have a false impression of 
and obviously this is, this is what Satan is trying to do. This is his strategy against us. Now, I want to I make it clear, and I've said this over and over, and, and I'll keep saying it over and over. Satan cannot mess up your life unless you cooperate with him. We, we, don't, we, we don't understand this, and because we don't understand this, we give the devil way too much credit. People you know, say things like, the devil made me do it. He can't make you do anything. He can't make you do anything. And the, the classic example of this is when God made the Garden of Eden good and Satan wanted to interject bad and evil into it, he did not have the authority or the power to do that himself. So what did he do? He deceived Adam and Eve into messing it up for him because they did have the power and authority to interject bad and evil and darkness into what God made every bit good and, and every bit light. And the same is true with your life and with my life. The devil cannot mess up your life unless he can get you to cooperate with him. If everybody on planet Earth, you know, on the count of three, one, two, three, if everybody on planet Earth quit listening to the devil, quit doing anything that he suggested or, or tried to use the lust of our flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes to entice us to do, he could accomplish nothing on this planet. And that's the reality of it. Jesus has thoroughly uh, and soundly de defeated him. So <clears throat> you say, well, Pastor Mark, I thought you said that Satan's, every one of Satan's strategies and schemes is to get us to respond in a way that's not pleasing to God or respond in a way that will be harmful to ourselves. Exactly. And, and so when you look at the layers of that then is if he can distort the way we look at things, we, we will be doing what we think is good, and it's actually not good at all. You realize the men who beat Jesus almost to death and nailed him to a cross thought they were serving God in what they did. That's how distorted, that's, that's how uh, you know, misleading, that's how confused they were. They killed the Apostle Paul when, when he was Saul. You know, he thought he was serving God by having Christians executed and, and thrown into prison because he thought that Christianity was, was wrong and Jesus was not the Messiah. And he was such a determined man that he was going to stomp it out single-handedly if necessary. That, so do you see that he's obviously responding in a way that is, you know, not according to God and, and not beneficial to God's purposes and plans on the earth. But he, he saw it incorrectly, and because he saw it incorrectly, he was going after it to destroy it when, thank God, he was born again and saw the light, both literally and spiritually, and was enlightened by God and by the Holy Spirit and became uh, one of the greatest apostles to ever live. So when we look into what happened in Genesis 3, and that's where we were last week, we see that Satan's efforts against us begin with enticing us to make choices that will distort our vision. In other words, he's trying to alter the way that we look at things. And the scriptures are clear, Satan is a deceiver and he is the father of lies. I want you to think about what that means as it relates to our current subject, a deceiver and the father of lies. If you're deceived, if you're deceived, then you're not looking at things as they truly are. 
Are you seeing this? You're not looking at things as they truly are. But remember what Keith Moore says, if you knew you were deceived, you wouldn't be. This is the power of deception because we think we're right. We think we're seeing it the way that it truly is when in essence we are not. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses um, 1 through 3. The Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous of you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, when we talk about a rule of thumb, rules of thumb are, are things that we can go by that will help us in, in, the, in the midst of you know, Satan trying to bring confusion and trying to to, you know, frustrate us in, in, in these kinds of things, okay? And, and one very important rule of thumb is that the more complicated it gets, the further it gets from the truth. He, he says it's the simplicity of Christ. The simplicity of Christ. Religion complicates things that Jesus came to make simple. Think about that for a minute. You take 600 plus commandments and ordinances of the law and Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself and you will fulfill. Who can even remember 600 and was it 13, 23? I forget the exact number. Who can even, rem I can't even remember how many there are much less every single one of them, right? How, how can one person remember that many laws and commandments? Well, Jesus is saying you don't have to remember them. All you have to remember are two. Just if you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, do you see how he simplified it? Jesus came to make things so simple that not only can a child do them, a child can lead adults in them. Here's a verse, I, I don't think I have it in my notes, but it, it's, it's in my notes, it'll be in my notes one day. But let me just say this. Remember, what, remember when Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no? And then he says, Any, anything beyond that leads somewhere that you don't need to go. A simple yes or a simple no. Satan is the one who wants to interject maybe. Satan is the one who wants to interject because he tries to make a clear yes or a clear no distorted. And so this is when we say, look, I, I, I know, you know, <laughs> I, I say it this way sometimes, you know, uh, people's minds are made up, so don't confuse them with the truth. You don't, 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 don't you, you ever had a conversation like that with somebody? You're trying to explain to them what the Word says. Not what you say, not what you think, not what you believe, but what God says, what God thinks, what, what God believes, if you will. And, and you just, you know, have them trying to have a simple conversation with them. Well, I, and they say something like, well, I know that the Bible says that, but what about, and this, and that. And, and notice, every word that comes out of their mouth takes something that's very clear and very simple in Christ, and they complicate it with, with outside things. 
Let me, let me just pause here for a moment, okay? Because in Ephesians, the, the great verse on discipleship, being renewed in the spirit of your mind, he talks about people who are born again, who are living like outsiders, who are not outsiders. They're living like people who have no covenant with God, but they, when they actually have a covenant with God. And it's showing up in their behavior. It's showing up in, in, in sinfulness and sinful behavior in their lives. And, 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 and the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says, you have not so learned Christ if indeed you have been taught by him. And so this is a great problem that we have in, in the body of Christ today. One of my favorite quotes from Bill Johnson, he says, Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is perfect theology. This is why uh, John the Baptist, by the Holy Spirit, identifies Jesus as the true light. Why in the world do you have to put true in front of light? You have to put true in front of light because there are a lot of lights that are not true lights. Satan himself comes as an angel of light. That would be in the same chapter 11. But let, me, let me try to go back to this for a minute. When Bill Johnson says Jesus is perfect theology, theology means the study of God. Theo, God, ology, study of. The study of God. When he says Jesus is perfect theology, perfect theology, that means Jesus is the final answer. Now this makes some people nervous. I'm not trying to make you nervous. Just hear me out, please. The revelation of God to man, in other words, who God truly is, being revealed to us, is progressive throughout the Bible. And when I say progressive throughout the Bible, what do I mean by that? I mean, by the time we get to King David and the Psalms, we know a whole lot more about God's nature and character and personality than we knew in Leviticus. And we see all of these different names of God, and each time God introduces himself using a new name, he is revealing to us a little bit more about himself. So the people who wrote about God in the Old Testament were writing about Him from a limited understanding. They were writing about Him from a limited position. Does that mean they were wrong? It doesn't mean that they were wrong, but it means that they couldn't see it as clearly as we can see it now that Jesus has come and lived among us. And He said, if you've seen Him, you've seen the Father. Meaning, if you truly want to know who God is and what He's really like, study the life of Jesus, the simplicity of Christ. How many times have I been teaching over the years about the goodness of God and the grace of God and the loving kindness of God, and somebody raises their hand and they say, what about Job? Again, can we just take this a little further? You're mature adults. Solomon... It says in the scripture, Solomon said in the scripture, that life is, is vanity, that it's not worth living, that it promises all of these things, but in the end, it's nothing more than a rug jerked out from under you. Obviously, that's a, a paraphrase. Now, he was writing that from his perspective, and the scriptures say that, but we know better than that now, do we not? See, he was writing that from a limited uh, view of, of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God and the plans of God and the purposes of God. Solomon didn't understand that, that we were ultimately created to be made one with God and that Jesus would fulfill that desire and come and take away our sins 
never to be held against us again, never to separate us from Father. There were all kinds of things that he didn't know, that he didn't understand. So Jesus is not just a higher or greater revelation, he is the final revelation. The Holy Spirit through John the Baptist, again in the, in the opening of the Gospel of John, he says that no one's seen God at any time, but the Son has declared Him. That word declared there is a very, very important word. It means that Jesus has revealed God to us thoroughly, completely, and entirely. Meaning until Jesus came, there were things about God, about His nature, about His character, about His personality that had never been made available for us to know or understand. David, when I say things drastically changed when, when David came along, David was a man ahead of his time. David had revelation of the loving kindness of God, the seed of God, things that you know, we take for granted that people in the Old Testament knew and understood, but they didn't know it. They didn't understand it. David's own wife thought that, 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 that he was, you know, some kind of fanatic, some kind of crazy man dancing before God in his ephod. You've shamed, you've embarrassed. But see, David wasn't putting on. He wasn't trying to draw attention to himself. Why did he dance like nobody else danced? Because he knew what very few, if anybody else, knew. He had revelation of these things, and it set his feet to dancing. The goodness of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God. So when he says that, I fear somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Jesus said, if you've seen me, John 14, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Meaning, look at every different situation that Jesus found himself in on this earth as a man. It's, it's not a coincidence that we have these things recorded for us. And when you see Jesus speaking and responding in those situations, you are getting the clearest picture of who God is that you will find any, anywhere, period. Now remember, there's three places in, in the Word of God that we see the will of God for man more clearly than any other place. It's, it's, it's before Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, in the earthly life and ministry of Jesus, and then what we know heaven will one day be like. See, some people hear what I'm saying and they try to twist it in their minds. Again, trying to complicate. Satan tries to complicate it. So you're telling me that, that God changed? No, He didn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always been loving and kind. He's always been a, a, a gracious Heavenly Father. Brother Donald and I were talking at a conversation after church on Wednesday, and, 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 and he just reminded me of it once again. In, in the Old Testament, the only way God had to communicate and speak to and deal with His people was through the five senses because they were spiritually dead. And, and that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a challenging uh, assignment even for God because God is a spirit and he's trying to communicate to you and me spiritual things he was trying to communicate to to the men and women in the Old Testament spiritual things through fleshly channels through through sensual senses 
seeing, tasting, hearing, outward ears, right? We're not in that position anymore. As born-again believers, we've been given a new spirit that has become one with God's spirit, and now we, our spirits aren't dead anymore. We say a dead spirit. Think, think about a cell phone. We say, man, my phone is dead. That can mean one of or both, one of two things, or both things at the same time. The phone is dead, meaning it doesn't have a signal. It's on, you're looking at it, but it's not connected to the tower. Or that the battery is dead. You've got a, you've got a connection to the tower, you guess, but you're, you're, you have no, no power. And so that's what it means for our spirits died. We, we had no power and we lost connection with the tower. But Jesus has reconnected us. Now, now, now Father God can communicate to us, not just like we're doing right now, speaking the word in our outward ear, but now He can communicate to us and reveal things to us through a spirit channel. This is important, my brothers and my sisters, so important for us to understand. So, if we're going to continue to try and understand God through reasoning among ourselves and, and, and the five senses and, and logic, and, and we're never going to come to the knowledge of the truth. And we are putting ourselves in a very vulnerable position to be deceived by the enemy. I'm going to say it again, verse 3, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve. Or what, he, what the serpent did, what Satan accomplished and the, and the way in which he accomplished it with Eve, he still uses those same, or tries to use those same strategies, those same tactics upon you and me. To what end? To alter or distort the way we see things so that we no longer see things as they truly are. Deceived Eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Simple. It's simple. Satan is the one who wants to try to make it hard. He's the one who tries to make it complex. He's the one that, that says, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Remember now, we've referred to these folks often. Twelve spies returned from the promised land. Ultimately, when they finally had an opportunity to get a word in edgewise, Joshua and Caleb said, let's go up at once. Because God has given us the land. Simple. God said, the land is yours. I've given it to you. Just go take it for yourself. Simple, right? Ten spies said, well, hold, hold. Slow your roll there for a minute, dude. Yes, it is an awesome place. God was right when he said. <laughs> Notice, the, this is how the devil tries to do, right? He tries to point out to you, you know, where God, well, you know, I got to hand you that one. God was right there. It's, it's, it's an amazing place. It's a beautiful place. But... Let me tell you what God didn't tell you. He didn't tell you there were giants. He didn't tell you they were militarized. He didn't tell you that there were walls so thick you could drive an 18-wheeler on top of them. Notice what they just do. They took the simple and they complicated it. They took it and, yeah, but what if this and what if that and if this and what if we get over there and we don't know what to do? Blah, blah. See, again, this is where simple trust in God 
Notice the more complicated it gets, the harder it becomes to trust. The more avenues we have for doubt. Thank you, Jesus. Same chapter, let's just for sake of time, let's skip down to verse 14. He says, and no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Now, I think it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's not true light. He transforms himself into an angel of light. So what does that mean? It means the devil wants to come on the scene offering light on the subject at hand. Or, as I like to just try to make it even more simple, Satan is an angel. You say, wait, he's not an angel, he's a fallen angel. Remember that. He was an archangel before he rebelled against God and lost his position. And so he still, you know, he's got some fake credentials. You know, he, he bought him some, an, an angel badge off of Amazon. Are you hearing me? He went online, got him an ordination certificate for, for $25. And he kind of just pulls it back, you know, like he keeps it on his waist and just kind of flashes it like that so you don't look at it real close. And he shows up as an angel bringing a new way of looking at things. Think about that now. That's what it means for him to be an angel of light. Remember, light's the ability to see. So for him to masquerade, transforming himself into an angel of light, he comes as an angel bringing to you and to me a new way of looking at things. Now, I'm not going to take the time to go through it all, but we read Genesis 3, 1 through 7 last week and, and, and how Satan operated against Adam and Eve and offering them a new way of looking at the forbidden fruit. And the Bible says that when she saw it, that it was um, verse number 6, Genesis 3 um, and 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Have you ever, and I think all of these basically are kind of saying the same thing. Have you ever heard, um, can't put the genie back in the bottle? That's a euphemism. Here's another one. Can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Here's another one. I can't unsee that. And a lot of times we say you can't unsee that we, it's because we've seen something gruesome or, or whatever, and it's like that image now has, has been imprinted. See, what happened when, when their eyes were opened, they just let something out of the bottle that was never supposed to be let out of the bottle. They just, <laughs> are you, you understand what I'm trying to say here, right? You can't unsee that. In other words, there's no, there's no going back. The, the toothpaste is out of the tube. Now, they can see good that they, got, have all, they always saw, but now their aperture, their eyes being opened, something that was previously shut off inside of them has been opened up to allow a different kind of light 
in. So they say to God, when God comes in the cool of the evening to fellowship with them, he says, where are you? Why are you hiding? Because I'm naked. And then he asked the question, who told you you were naked? Why is this so important? It's because for the first time in their existence, they understood something about themselves. They had an opinion of themselves that did not come from God. So what just happened? I'm trying to show you something. What just happened? Things just got a lot more complicated. Things just got a lot more complicated. For all of the wonder, for all of the awe, for all of the beauty, things in heaven that we're going to experience, I've mentioned a time or two, even bought 10 copies, and if some of you are waiting on somebody to put a copy back to read yourself and you would like a copy of that book, I'll be happy to get you one. Amen. Imagine heaven. For all of the things there that are beyond our ability now to comprehend, heaven's actually going to be a pretty simple place. Are you hearing me? Think about the things that cause you stress. Complication causes you stress. You know, people talk about, man, I'm just, I got to simplify my life, man. I got too many blah, 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 irons in the fire, this sort of, I got to simplify. See, there's something in us that recognizes the, the, the correlation between simplicity and peace, simplicity and joy, simplicity and less stress. The more complicated things become, the more opportunity Satan has. To, to interject uh, wrong ways of looking at things, stress into our lives, worry into our lives, anxiety into our lives, um, you know, weariness, tiredness, run down mentally, emotionally, physically. And so there's something in us that says, man, you know, just um, there's some need to breathe songs, and they, they, that's a theme of a lot of their songs or lines in a lot of their songs about, you know, just a, a, a more simple life, a more simple life, right? Um, I know it's anything but godly, but simple kind of man, right? Was that Leonard Skinner, I think? Who was that? Yeah. yeah so, again, we, you know, <laughs> I mean, God, like, you know, speaks universes into existence, which sounds very complicated, but for him it's simple. Are you, amen, I probably need to just leave that alone for a minute, but, but that's going to be one of the main things that makes heaven heaven is just the simplicity of it. And the ability to see things as they truly are. Amen. Now, Satan told them that if they would eat the fruit, it would enlighten them. But the light that they let in through those actions was actually darkness. Can you hang in here just a few more minutes? Let me, let me try to at least get to this part of it. In 1 John Chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17. The Holy Spirit through the Apostle John, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does, excuse me, he who does the will of God abides forever. So in this temptation in the garden, we see all three of these interjected. The lust of the flesh, she saw that it was good to eat 
it looked good, it tasted good, right? The lust of the eyes, again, desiring what she saw. And then this last one, <coughs> excuse me, the pride of life. There, there are all kinds of ways, I think, we talk about the pride of life, but, but to simply define what it means, the pride of life, it's when you take control of your own life. It's, it's when you, well, let's, let's look at what Adam and Eve did. God said, look, don't eat that. The day you eat it, you'll die. They came to a point where they said, you know what, God, you, you got us to here, but we think we know better. We think that if we eat that fruit from that tree, that it's actually going to make us more like you and enable us to just do things our own way. You know, so we're we're going to separate ourselves. They, didn't, they weren't thinking like separate, like sever. They were thinking like, um, you know, like a, I don't know, like, like when I separated from my mom and dad, married Pam, and we got our own apartment. I, I think, again, that's, the devil's just telling them, right, look, you, you've depended on God long enough. You need to stand on your own two feet, blah, 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 blah. You know, all these things that... That, you know, so the, the pride of life is when you take control and you think you know best, okay? And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. Now, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I lose a lot of verses, but you're going to recognize these if you don't already know where I'm going. Let me, let me read this to you real quick, and then we'll make a few comments. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. I, let's go back. Um, lust of the flesh would be turn the stones into bread. He's very hungry. He hasn't eaten anything for 40 days. And so he's saying, look, just turn these stones into bread. And by the way, just prove it once and for all that you are the Son of God. If you be. He's calling into question, right? He's trying to get Jesus focused on proving something that's, that's, that, again, <laughs> let me just keep going here. So, so that's the lust of the flesh. Then he takes him up and tells him to cast himself uh, down. Um, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So notice now he's, he's trying to use the word of God to bring a false light. Are you saying this is, this is what the religious leaders did against Jesus, and this is what people do when you try to share truth with them, simple truth, and they want to complicate it. See, he's trying to confuse Jesus here by giving him scriptures, but they're being wrongly applied. Jesus said to him, It is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kings of this world and their glory. Anybody want to guess? Lust of the eyes. He's showing him something. He's wanting him to see something. All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, 
Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels, not an angel of light, Satan, but genuine, true angels came and ministered to him. Now, we have in the past, and there's a lot, you know, we could teach sermon series. There could be books written on this. I'm not trying to do that this morning, but I am asking you to pay close attention at how Satan was trying to get Jesus to look at things differently. That's, that's his whole, that's his, that, that's, that's his M.O., modus operandi, right? He's, he's, he's like, man, that rock right there looks like a fresh, hot, steaming loaf of bread. I'm sure you can see that, Jesus. I mean, obviously it's a rock. Man, I bet you can almost smell it, fresh-baked bread. Come on, Jesus, you're hungry. You, I don't, do you have enough strength even to get down off this place? And, and why, don't, why don't you just go ahead and make it bread? Do you see? He's trying to get him a, a, an alternative way. Now, there's a lot that, again, we could say about this, but remember, part of Jesus' assignment was to only do what his father told him to do and to only say what his father told him to say. So, Jesus responded with the word when um, he uh, responds that not live by bread alone, but everywhere that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay? So then he tells him, pinnacle of the temple, and tells him to throw himself down. Now, I know there are people who disagree with me on this, and, 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 and that's okay, you can disagree with me on this, but I believe that at different points throughout every human being's life, Satan just tries to float a thought through your mind to take your own life. I don't believe, any, I don't believe anyone has, has... Now, that doesn't mean you were suicidal. doesn't mean you thought about it or contemplated it. But he'll just, in the, in, you know, you're on vacation, 19th floor of the condo, you look down, wow, and the Satan will just say, why don't you just jump? Now, every time I do this, everybody gets real quiet and looks straight ahead. Because, man, if we admit to this, they're going to send us to some hospital and medicate us. No, I, this is the devil. I know the devil. I know how he works. And an overwhelming majority of people just dismiss it, don't ever say anything about it, and keep going, right? So he's, he's trying to, he's, the fear factor, he's up high. I, I remember when I was this, this row at the very top, uh, up, up on the lift, and that lift was doing this. You know, it's a, it's amazing how, in that moment, your your body responds, and and it, it, you you get in a different frame of mind. Fear starts trying to choke you. You know, you're holding on. You know, so I think he was trying to, you know, br this really high place. And come on now, are you with me? He's trying to spook Jesus. He's trying to jar him and, and, and then you know, offer this uh, thought into his mind. Of course, Jesus responded with the word. And then he did it again. He did it again when he um, you know, tempted him with showing him all the kings of this world. You say, well, ah, that's, no, read the Bible. The, the power and authority of those kingdoms did belong to Satan. 
because they were given to Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve turned them over to Satan, Jesus came as the last Adam to take them back and return them to you and me. So what Satan is actually offering Jesus here is a shortcut. He's saying, look, man, I, you and I both know what's you know, waiting, you, waiting for you at the end of this whole journey. There's no need for that. There's no need for you to be beaten like that. There's no need for your beard to be ripped out of your face. If you want the kingdoms, just bow down right now and I'll give them to you and it'll all be over. Do you see what he's doing? He's offering him another way of looking at it. You know, and you look at the cross, and the Bible's very clear. Jesus knew what he was going to suffer and endure. He, it, it didn't surprise him one bit. He knew about it. So on one hand, you've got this picture. Remember now, he's also in a very weakened physical state. Uh, he hasn't eaten in 40 days. Satan's trying to take advantage of this, just like he tries to take advantage when you and I get spiritually tired, spiritually weak, mentally, emotionally. That's why we've got to keep ourselves built up in the Word. Amen? Here's the last thing I'm going to say, and then we'll pray, okay? So many times, and I'm not saying this is wrong, but let's just try to broaden our understanding a little bit. Can we do that? So many times we say, so the answer when you're tempted is to speak the word. Yes, that would be sort of right, okay? It's not just that Jesus spoke the word. It's that Jesus refused to see it any other way than the word. There's a lot of people who just go, speak the word, speak the word, speak the word. <laughs> okay, speak it, that's good. I'm not, I'm not telling you not to speak the word. Better than speaking something else. But the real source of Jesus' victory here is that unlike Adam and Eve, he refused to take the bait and consider the alternative perspectives on the situation that Satan kept offering him. And when he was speaking the word, he was doing more than regurgitating something that he had learned in Sunday school, but he was affirming a position that he was holding fast to and refused to move from. He refused to see it the way Satan was trying to. He refused to look at that stone and see bread. He refused to throw himself down and prove that he was the Son of God. He refused to take the easy way out. He stayed true to the things, to the way things really are. Amen? Okay, stand with me this morning. You get anything out of this? Okay, praise God, praise God, praise God. Thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Now, we still haven't really, maybe next week, I was, I was hoping we'd get there this week. It's okay. <clears throat> Just, I want to remind you again. Notice what Satan's trying to do. Satan is trying to reason. He tried to reason with Eve, and she fell for the trap, and she started reasoning with him and left what God said out of the equation. He tried the same thing. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. He tried those same strategies, same tactics on Jesus, but Jesus held true. He, he refused to reason with the devil, but every time he would answer with the way things truly are, okay? This is, this is how Satan gets people so messed up and confused, is we start reasoning within ourselves, right? And what we don't realize, when you start reasoning within yourself, you open yourself up to spiritual influence. 
this is where Satan begins to, well, if you thought about it this way, I know what the Bible says, but the Bible also says, and then he takes something out of context. And, well, but you know, not everybody's healed, and, 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 and not everybody is, is blessed. And well, what about people in developing nations? And, you know, so you're going to tell me that, see, he starts, and then you start reasoning them. This is what this, this is the tactic, because he's trying to get you to see things in a different light. He's trying to alter your vision, if you will, the way you see things. And because if he, he knows if he can do that, he's got you. All right. So stop reasoning with the liar and the deceiver. This is what we don't realize. We, we think we're coming up with all these great answers on our own, and there's another person sitting at the table reasoning with you. And he's the father of lies, and he's the deceiver of the nations, and we have no business reasoning with him. Amen? Amen? Father, you're good to us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for helping us, Lord, connect with these things in, in, in deep and meaningful ways. Father, thank you for helping us see and, and understand, and, and by your Holy Spirit, uh, bringing us to and convincing us and convicting us of, of the truth, Father. Lord, that, that you would uh, reveal to us areas in our lives where we are not seeing things as they truly are. And Father, bring your light into uh, the areas of darkness, Father, that are in our thinking and in our minds. Lord, thank you for your word, and we confess it now over all of these, your precious people, that the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And so, Father, let your light shine through us. In, in, in beautiful, wonderful, life-changing, significant, shifting ways. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you so much for being here this morning. You be blessed. We'll see you Wednesday night, if not before. Good things.